0: You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Tony Rodardi, retired police officer and founder slash CEO of the Compassion Alliance. Tony encourages us to address the elephant in the room. Let's dive in. Tony Rodardi. (laughs) You got it. I got it. You got I, it. I said you first last First take, thing, right? you got it. <laughs> yes, perfect, perfect. <laughs> the truth is that was take 10, right? Yeah, no, true. No. But who so, needs to know? Yes, we'll keep that between us. Tony, it's so good to have you on the No Gray Areas podcast. We just met for the first time. A mutual friend introduced us about a week ago, right? We did. Yeah. We did, yeah. And uh, I was into the conversation about three minutes, and I'm going, oh, man, I'm so glad that our mutual friend introduced us. Oh, 100%, and I want
1: to duly note it, I was into the conversation before we even met, just when we had the texting string. But you're right. The replies,
0: I'm like, that yeah. guy is spot on. Yeah. And we are now officially friends. Yeah. And then you sent a gif, and that was where I knew like there was a, con- yeah, my, right gift, away. my gift game was strong. It was, it was really strong. Well, you have a fascinating background. Um, you were in law enforcement for a long time. Just, just set us up with that. What? Yeah. So I had a 20 year career in, uh, local law enforcement, Arizona law enforcement.
1: Mm-hmm. I retired in 2018. So about three and a half years ago, I stepped away from full-time law enforcement. Yeah.
0: And what, what are the different things that you did during that time?
1: So the vast majority of my time were in investigations, and really more specifically in our homicide units. My last 11 years were in our homicide unit. I actually retired out of that unit. Yeah. 11 years working with homicides. 11 years. Yeah. So we covered homicides. We covered um, deputy-involved shootings in that unit. Um, We covered some long-term missing in that unit. We covered unidentified human remains in that unit. We also covered cold case. So cold case or
0: unresolved homicides man that's a lot of heavy stuff you were dealing with then, right like that that's not like you come home from work every day and you just work with some light and fluffy things or you'd so i mean
1: yeah you know i i I would share this with uh friends my social circle if you think about it every single day in that homicide unit was the absolute worst day in the history of the family that we're dealing with and that cycle just repeats over and over and over
0: yeah we're going to get into that in this podcast. You know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the darkness? And the? but because that is, it's, it's, you were dealing with that, but first responders are often dealing with that, right? Oh, yeah, and that's, absolutely. That's, Across the board. Yeah. Yep. Which is why, let's jump right into that too. You actually have started a nonprofit. We did. Yeah. 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 Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, my wife and I started a
1: nonprofit when I retired. Um, and I just want to pause for a minute and just say that my wife is awesome. Mm-hmm. She's amazing, um, and I thank God for her every day. But she got me through just a, a, I don't want to call it crazy career, but just a, a roller coaster of a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was my biggest supporter, continues to be my biggest supporter. But throughout the I career— I imagine that's
0: huge with the kind of things you were dealing with. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I,
1: I, yeah. I, I successfully left law enforcement on my terms. I like to think I was— really good when I left and it felt good leaving at the top of my game, but it was time to go after Mm -hmm. 20 years. Um, And my wife in the background was saying, let's get you some help. Let's get you some help. And we'll elaborate more in the podcast on that story. But when we finally retired, we started a nonprofit to provide assistance, trauma therapy for first responders. There was an absolute need for it. I saw it every day. Um, And we, we have that nonprofit now that we launched in 2018. Every single day, we're continuing to advocate and fight for the first responders that need our support and care so deeply. I lived in that world, mm-hmm. you know, and we have to change the dynamics of those conversations. And we were blessed to start this nonprofit. We're blessed that it's still moving forward. And, and we take it incredibly seriously.
0: Yeah. I I have some friends, close friends, you're becoming one of those now, too, that were, have been first responders or are first responders and they they should be the the heroes of our society. I mean, you are choosing to go into a, a career field where like you said, you're dealing with some of the most desperate, heart-wrenching situations. You're dealing with families that are maybe at the lowest point in their life. Yeah. Uh, so so you're dealing with that constantly and there's no way that doesn't affect you as a person, as a human, your psyche, right? There's no way. Yeah.
1: And if you talk to a first responder and they tell you, "Oh, it doesn't impact me." Hogwash! I'm not buying it. Yeah, it affects them, but just to what level? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's what we're dealing with. You know, if you think about it, like I went through the police academy in the late '90s, Um, we weren't talking about this stuff. I like to think the present day police academies are different, but we weren't back then. Um, And you're not getting the tools, the resources to be able to unpack what you're going to see because the reality is, and, and it's an extreme example, being in a homicide unit but I saw horrendous things. Mm-hmm. I saw the absolute underbelly of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and the general public doesn't know how violent the, really the world is, yeah. but the things we saw, we were never given tools to unpack that, process that, walk through that, work through that. And so that's what we're trying to do, is just change the dynamics of those conversations yeah. and let our first responders know that we care deeply about them. That, And I say this all the time, and I'll continue to say this all the time, they're not broken. just a little bent, a little tweaked. We've all been there. Guilty, 100%.
0: Yeah. When you say changing the dynamics of the conversation, what are some of those dynamics that need to be shifted or changed?
1: So, you know, every, and let me first define first responders. So how we define it through our nonprofit, the Compassion Alliance, is anybody that could show up on your doorstep if you called 911. That'd be fire truck, police Mm car, ambulance, we include 911 uh, dispatchers. They're a totally forgotten people class, and they oh, have massive needs too. Um, that's how we dis- define yeah. first responders. When we talk about changing the dynamics, you know, every agency's a little different. Some agencies are better, um, some agencies are still in uh, the dark ages. But we've got to bring these conversations to the forefront, and we have to just address the elephant in the room. We're not all okay. Let's mm-hmm. just start there. We're not all okay. We got to get past the, the the stigma of asking for help is a sign of weakness. Um, we got to do better about the mental well being, and we got to just address. I, I don't want to say the awkwardness, um, so I'll just say the elephant in the room. Yeah, we just yeah. have to address it. We yeah. can't pretend it's not there because we know that it's there. If you look at the suicide rates for police and fire for the last several years, they are greater than line of duty deaths. That statistic in and of itself Wait. should make everybody just stop yeah, and yeah. think about the complexity of what we're dealing with.
0: And I, I don't want anybody to miss that. So you just said that the suicides for first responders far outweigh the... Yeah, we're losing more men and women that are first
1: responders to suicide than we are line of duty deaths. Oh man, that that's not right. No, it's yeah, not right. That's not and right. that's why we need to start addressing these conversations yeah. now. You know, a suicide is an extreme example of somebody that's hurting and going through serious, um, has serious needs. But what if we can put mom or dad back at the dinner table? What if we can put mom or dad back at the soccer game on a Saturday, watching the kid? You get, you go down this rabbit hole of seeing this just death and destruction and all these bad things, and you start holding back. You start withdrawing. Um, I was guilty of it. Mm-hmm. I started catching myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was missing dinner. I was missing a lot of things. Um, I had a great safety net in place my wife, but not everybody has that. Yeah. If you look statistically at marriages too, alone with first responders, so many of them are failed marriages. Yeah. Um, so they may not have that spouse that's supportive. And a lot of these men and women are just completely on their own. So suicide, extreme example. But what if we can just put mom or dad yeah. back at the table, engaging in everyday activities with kiddo, um, I yep. think that's where we need to start. Yep.
0: They're emotionally invested in their marriage or they're emotionally invested with the children. Yeah, or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's this stigma too that you you were talking to me about when we met that first time in that coffee shop where uh, first responders felt like if they asked for help, they were afraid of their future career as well too. Like that's something that needs to change. Like if, yeah. if I go apply for another job and then found out that I went into therapy for something – I'm broken, so I may not get my next job. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of unique. I'm, I'm kind of like an old dog.
1: I, I hate even saying that, but the reality is I've retired. Things have changed a little bit. Uh, the stigma may or may not have changed. Um, I keep saying this. I think, lo- I think law enforcement is better now. We're not great, but I think we're better. But when I was going through um, with the guys in my demographic, uh, there was a stigma. Y- you weren't, we weren't, paying you to cry. We weren't paying you to have issues. We were paying you to solve
0: crimes. Yeah. Um, you deal with that at home. Yeah, you Your deal with work. that at home. Yeah, that's, we, we, that was the idea.
1: Yeah, we, we got to break that. Um, there's still some of that going on. Yeah, And even if that's not going on, the perception is that it is going on. Hmm. So we still got to address
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On on your website, uh, there's a couple things in the paragraph that's kind of given your bio. It says this, that you're passionate, you have a passion for working with unidentified human remains. I put a smiley face next to that because I don't know that a lot of people would be like, I have a passion for working with unidentified human remains. <laughs> Explain that for us. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's actually, it's a, it's a sad subject. Mm-hmm. The amount of unidentified human remains in Arizona alone is just scary. We have an international. So there's no border. closure for these families. There, there's not. And You got to be careful with the word closure too. Is it really closure? Uh, once the loved one is identified as being deceed, mm-hmm. deceased, deceased. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say yes, some say no. Um, but I, I had the opportunity to be able to work a lot of those cases, and it's just incredible. The, the need is there. Uh, limited resources on them. You know, I, I say this too. I, I believe. I firmly believe. I'm standing before you. Everybody deserves a name, period. Mm -hmm. I don't care what they did. I don't care what kind of criminal history they may have had. I don't care how stellar of a citizen they were. I don't care how they got to our country. They deserve the dignity to have a name. Everybody came into this world with a name. They deserve that dignity to leave the world with that name. And so I worked those cases, and it wasn't just me. It's an entire squad. There's a lot of dedicated men and women who care deeply about these cases. And it's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. When you get into these cases, because the stories are all so different, yeah, you know. And I found out there's a common theme when these families just think their loved one is just missing. They don't know, and they think the loved one may have left for whatever reason, and they start um, assuming a lot of stuff that yeah. is unfortunate because the loved one went out, may have got hurt, uh, may have got lost, succumbed to the environment, perished. Family just thinks they left. They were just done with the marriage or whatever. So there's scenarios like that. You are able to answer some questions for the family. But, but like, I get where you're coming from, but I don't laugh. I don't joke about it. I don't even smile about it.
0: It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing,
1: and it's heartbreaking if you saw the numbers that were out there.
0: Yeah. Oh, I imagine. I, I didn't miss the fact that you said closure isn't a good term to use. What would you, what else would you say? I'm not going to say it's not a good term to lose,
1: but there, there's certain terms like even cold case, you know, that could be offensive to a family. If you think the case has gone cold, um, it's unresolved. It hasn't been resolved yet. Okay. Um, I just want to be hypersensitive and look at things from the perspective of the family and the victim's family.
0: Yeah. And I suppose the number of cases that you've worked you can see through their lens a little bit better than maybe some of us that haven't done so. Oh, them. yeah, like you, absolutely. You've sat with a lot of these families. Yeah, and, 100%. Yeah. And I don't fault you, to be yeah.
1: clear, for how you react or what you think. Yeah. I just look at it differently. Yeah. And I try and look at it through the lens of the family, because a lot of these cases, for so many years, that family's been neglected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily by law enforcement in general, but sometimes by society, sometimes through their church their social circles. Uh, Mm -hmm. they've been considered outcasts for whatever reasons. And so I try and just look at it through their lens. Um, and I think it made, I think it made me a better detective too, being able to look at it through their lens.
0: Yeah. I have no doubt. I mean, just sitting here talking to you and I I imagine you sitting with one of those families, it was beyond just business or beyond just work, just the way that you're, you're talking about the the importance of the term terminology that you use and yeah. What, another thing that you said that you're passionate about bringing to light the needs of first responders. Yeah. And a lot of that is from your own story? My own story. You know, I'm, I
1: am the story of the Compassion Alliance. You know, for years, yeah, I was in this unit for over a decade. For over a decade, I had a wife at home saying, let's get some help. Let's talk. Um, and for over a decade, I said, no, I'm not showing any kinks in my armor. I'm not going to be considered unfit for duty. I'm not. And I'm not saying my agency would have treated me like that, mm-hmm. but that's the only perception I had and so I elected not to get help until I retired. And that's part of my story now and people need to hear that. Yeah. I retired, I went and talked to somebody. It was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. It really? was the best thing I ever did and our men and women don't need to wait till they retire. Yeah. And that's that's what we're trying to do through the Compassion Alliance. So we do this in a way that still honors where they're at because we don't know what agency is forward thinking, which agency is archaic. So we set up a platform where they can reach out to us directly. They don't have to go to their supervisor, battalion chief, sergeant, HR, and worry about a paper trail, worry about insurance. They reach out to us. We say, look, we care deeply about you. We love you. Thank you for your service. Allow us to help you. And we're just a financial bridge. So we use our 501C3 funds I write the check for therapy. We don't get involved with the therapy. We're not anywhere involved in that process. It's not its not my wheelhouse. I don't know anything about that. Um, so we connect them with the therapist. We can do it in person. We can do it online, virtually. And we are strictly here for the Compassion Alliance. Two reasons. To advocate for our first responders and to tell them that they matter deeply to us and to put our money where our mouth is
0: and to pay for those services. Wow, that is that's incredible. So... It, let's say I was a police officer, or a, a fireman, or something like that, and I was I was struggling with some of these things. I could come to your nonprofit and say I I, I feel like I need to get some help. Yeah, absolutely. And you gonna you're gonna connect them to someone who can give them help, and then provide the funding for it. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what it looks like. Wow, that's that is incredible. So, okay, let's get a little messy here. Um, you and I. All were right. Talking, do I need to roll the, roll the sleeves up? <laughs> yeah, let's we roll good? up our sleeves and dig into this some. Um, so there's this, you know, this 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 term is used often and it's thrown around a lot. PTSD, mm-hmm. a post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Um, you right before we turned these mics on, you were saying, well, that's that's a messy. And I actually, the military guy that I am friends with, he's talked about the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a little messy terminology now. Unpack that for a little bit, because most people, if they just heard what you said before about what you do, they would go, oh you're dealing with first responders who have PTSD. Yeah. That's what most people would say. So is it a disease? Is it a disorder? Is it whatever? I don't know.
1: I know those decisions are well above my pay grade. Um, I care deeply about our men and women and what they're seeing, what they're encountering, and what they're experiencing. And we just want to get them help. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to get stuck in the weeds on really what's wrong with them because mm-hmm. um, that's not my specialty. Mm-hmm. But we have access to specialists who do know that and can come alongside them and have those conversations. And so I try and just remain pretty surfacy. It's probably not the answer you want on this podcast, but I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole on what it's called. I don't care what it's called. What I care about is we have men and women that have trauma that they've experienced and we wanna get them help. Yeah. And what you wanna call it, I'm okay with. Yeah. What the therapist wants to call them, I'm okay with. Just get them help. What the general public might wanna call them, I'm probably not okay with. Um, oh, so it depends on, it depends on our audience and our environment. Yeah. Um, but I can't emphasize enough, asking for help does not mean that you're broken. Yeah. Asking for help doesn't mean that your self-worth has diminished. Yeah.
0: It hasn't. Probably means that you're human, doesn't it?
1: A hundred percent. And it probably means you're at a stage in your life now where you realize you need a little bit of help
0: Yeah. and that's yeah. okay. Because you've seen some really horrendous things. And if you're struggling with that, That's just displaying the humanness of you.
1: We are not designed to see what we see. Mm. We are not designed as it is to process the evil that we see. There are things that I saw in that 11-year career in homicide that uh, I won't share with you. I won't. I think even when we met the first time, I'm not sharing stories with you. I have stories that will make your toenails curl, but I don't want those images in your head. That's not fair to you. Yeah. Um, And so our men and women are seeing that every day. Some are getting help. Far too many are not getting help. And then at the end of the day, they're stuck to their own vices of processing that and trying to walk through that.
0: Tony, I think it's like for our audience right now listening, some of them may be listening and they're interested in this because maybe they have a friend that's a first responder. But I, I hope they wouldn't just think of someone else because they may not be a first responder, but there's been some trauma in their life and this applies to them. That maybe they're going, man, I... I'm dealing with some stuff right now.
1: Yeah, it, it, it really does. I think really everybody, I don't care what your career is or where you're at, there's probably some trauma in your life. Mm-hmm. The thing unique about us is that we're trying to set the process up for our first responders where it takes the added stress off of it. Mm-hmm. If you're a counselor, if you're a pastor, if you're a small business owner, there are a lot of resources out there. There mm-hmm. really is. Whether or not you choose to pursue them, there are. If you're a first responder, there's very few that are dedicated Yeah. To what it's like to be a first responder. And so we try and just focus our attention specifically on those career choices. Um, But you're absolutely right. If you're a school teacher, if you're really anything, there's probably to some degree some trauma out there. I just think the numbers and the proportions are greater for first responders than the
0: average oh, sure. citizen that's out there for sure I, I can't imagine anybody disagreeing with that just again the the, the stuff that you deal with you use the phrase before how do we protect those who protect us yeah and that's yeah. that's one of that that's the, what we're talking about doing yep absolutely i love how that's phrased i loved how that's worded yeah. Because we, we pick up the phone and we call 911 because we need protection or we need mm-hmm. help or we, but I don't think a lot of us do think through they're protecting us. How do we help protect them? Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And And I'm hoping that through the course of this podcast and we're talking about certain things that people will start looking at this differently. And I'm going to encourage your audience, you know, they may not be a first responder, but do they know a first responder? Mm-hmm. Do they have somebody in their small Bible study, in their neighborhood, a family member, or a coworker,
0: that knows of a first responder that can share our information? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really important. What would you recommend? So, so right now the audience is listening and they're going, I, they have someone in there, they have a name or a face that popped in their mind right now of a first responder. What would you recommend we do? How do we encourage that first responder? So
1: in order for that first responder to get help, part of the process is they need to reach out. And ask for the help. We can't give them help if they're not ready to have help. And that comes up often. Um, so I would encourage your audience, have that conversation with your first responder. Say, look, I, I heard about this organization. It may or may not be for you. Check out the website. Yeah. Just share the website. Yeah. Start that conversation. I've had family members reach out to me. Um, whoever reaches out to me, I'm going to respond back. And And we may be in a position where we can't help, depending on the circumstances, if it's not a first responder, things like that, but I'm never gonna leave you hanging. I'll I'll refer you somewhere, have this conversation, but it's imperative for the first responder to be in a position where they need the help now, they see it, they're accepting it, because I can't give them help if they're not. I'll also tell you this, and this is heartbreaking, um, and one thing I won't do is I won't disclose who's reached out, what agencies, anything like that. Um, We're not gonna jeopardize the trust that we have. But it is heartbreaking the amount of first responders that reach out, and they think they want help, and we start this process, and I just can't get them to
0: commit. Why do you think that is?
1: I, I think truly because of the stigma and truly because we're still in an area in this career where we're not doing enough for it. So like, let's use the military, for example. The military for years did not address the needs of trauma therapy mm-hmm. in the services. I think they are now, slowly but surely. Um, they're doing more now than they ever were 20 years ago. Law enforcement has not got there yet. And so I'll have folks that will reach out, and oftentimes it's a family member that shares the information. They get on the website. They contact us. I reach back out, and it just turns into a convo conversation going back and forth. Um, tell them what we offer. Tell them what the process looks like. Just can't get them to yeah. commit. And then I'll have other ones that reach out, and they're, boom, ready to go. Yeah. It it takes really Really, no. I don't have to answer any questions on that one. So we run the gamut. Uh, It just depends on where people are at. But I just want to make it clear, that first responder has to be in a position in their life where they are ready for the help. Because if they're not ready,
0: it, we're not going to be successful at getting them help. Well, and I love what you're what you're recommending. It's a very easy, tangible step to take is to just share your information, which yeah. right now I want to pause. Give us that information. Yeah, if absolutely. Someone's, so if you're driving your car, pull off the side of the road right now so that you can yep. get ready to jot this down, take notes on your phone. But yeah. if we sat down and we talked to a first responder and we said, hey, great organization. Uh, I'd love for you to reach out to them some point. Just look, check them out yeah they would look at what they would look at our website it's
1: compassion-alliance.org so our organization is the compassion alliance -alliance compassion-alliance.org you can contact us through that website our phone number's on there mailing address everything that you need is right there it's a one-stop shop either share your podcast or send them to that website
0: Yeah. They, hey, I like how you plug the podcast too. <laughs> nice job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that that's so important because what, ha- and I know, I know you've seen this in the sense that sometimes you may talk to a first responder and they're like, yeah, I'm not ready. They got the information though, mm-hmm. but something happens next week or next month or six months from now. And they start going, what was that organization? Cause I'm ready now.
1: Yeah. Maybe absolutely. I weren't ready
0: when you told them, but something happens.
1: And that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it takes multiple touches. Yeah. Maybe that first touch is the neighbor. Second touch is your podcast. You know, third touch is them getting on the website. Yeah, It's okay. And I want to just pause for a second too and just publicly say that's okay. That's very normal for the process to be like that. You don't have to just go right to the website, reach out to me, and we put you right in therapy. It's okay. You've It's taken you years to get to this point. It may take us time to get you off of that
0: point. Yeah. That's Okay. I'm not an expert in trauma by any means either, but I've done a lot more reading on it in recent years because some close friends of mine who were struggling with addictions and some of those things, but as they started going through some of their therapy, the therapist was talking to them saying, it's, it's not really the, the, the chemicals you're addicted to. It's more connected to this trauma that you had in life a long yeah. time ago. And so I think just as a society in whole, we're starting to recognize in a, in a whole better way. What trauma does to us as humans? Yeah, I think so too. And I think as a society, we're starting to have more conversations about it too. Yeah.
1: Um, when we were kids, we yeah. weren't having these conversations about trauma. We just weren't. Yeah. We weren't.
0: Yeah. I don't. When When I heard the word trauma growing up, probably clear through high school, college years, trauma would always be like I broke my leg. Yeah. Someone got hurt. Yeah. Well, they did, but it's a different type of hurt. Yeah. They're still getting hurt. hmm And sometimes a lot more confusing type of hurt because if I broke mm-hmm. my leg. It's pretty simple. Put the bone back together, you know. Yeah. Get the, But but when something happened up here, this is so our as humans we're so complex yeah. that trying to figure that out isn't easy. And that's why I love so much your phrase about uh, protecting those who protect us. I mean, I'm so passionate about this. Yeah. I love what you're doing, Tony, because we do have people in our city that we're sitting in Phoenix, but whoever, wherever someone's listening, whatever country they might be listening, yeah. you have people that wake up every day and are going, putting their lives on the line. And when I say lives, I'm not just meaning like maybe having to give their physical life, but they're giving their lives in a sense, they're they're dealing with trauma that's affecting them. Yeah, 100%. You know, when you talk about giving your physical life,
1: if there's a police officer, they've had that conversation with themselves. I had that conversation with myself. Am I willing to die for this profession? So that in and of itself is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have men and women that are yeah. Answering that every single day and getting absolutely obliterated by the media and uh, the world that they're living in and yet still pinning that badge on and going to work and answering that call at 3 in the morning when some violent, horrendous person is trying to break into a house and kill Mm. people.
0: They're still answering that call. I think if you understand the gravity of that, or I would hope, you'd be a little more open to giving a little more grace to the men and women who are doing that. Because I'm 50 years old, and when you just said that, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had a job where I sat down saying, am I willing to die for this job? You know, I've worked in churches, and I've worked, you know, and I'm in the U.S., so I'm not, there are people that are in churches, pastoring churches in certain parts of the world that are legitimately asking that question. absolutely. But for, for many of the listeners... They're probably going, I've never actually had to ask myself that question. Yeah. Am I willing to die? So you really understand, again, the gravity of what other men and women who are first responders are going through. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Why do you, and you touched on this a little bit, but why do you think asking for help is so frowned on? It's starting to shift, you said.
1: Yeah. And you know what I think now? I don't think it's quite as frowned upon as our first responders think it is. Um, I think we're still
0: kind of stuck. So they have a perception that's yeah, not reality.
1: Yeah, but what's important is we got to meet them where their perception is because their perception is their reality. And I can relate to that. So if that's what they're going through, I'm going to meet them right there. But I think in general, the stigma that used to be associated with it is a little bit less now. Yeah. I think more agencies are a little more open to offering help. Um, but again, the reality is if that's how they feel, That's where we got to meet them, and we got to unpack that together.
0: Well, that probably makes you feel really hopeful of what you just said. Like you're seeing it shift. You're seeing this change taking place in our culture and our society. I I am seeing it shift, but I'm impatient. I want that shift to be greater. Why are you impatient? Because there's
1: still men and women that are not reaching out because of that perception. So we need to be engaged in conversations like this. This has to become more mainstream. The more that they're exposed to this, hearing these conversations, that may shift a little bit. Yeah. So I, I care deeply about our men and women that are hurting. I care deeply. I can't emphasize that enough. These conversations
0: need to be happening a lot more often um, all over the country. Yeah. Maybe you can help us with this. So maybe there are some first responders or some spouses of first of children, family members, friends. If, if maybe I could ask you to be a little transparent with your journey. Sure. You said your wife was noticing some things and saying, I'd love for you to go get help. What were some of those things that she was noticing? So,
1: you know, this is really kind of unique, and I don't know that I handled this the best in in terms of being transparent, but how I processed what I did is I compartmentalized. Mm. So I left cop work at work. My social circle, I didn't have any cop friends, for the most say, I have a really good buddy, but we were buddies before we both became cops. when I left work, I left that there, and so I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk shop. I didn't want to share my what I was doing with my wife because those images were impacting me. You certainly didn't. Want I them didn't want them her. impacting my yeah. children or yeah. her. Um, so that that wasn't an option. But she continued to advocate for me. Um, I think she to answer your question specifically. I think she probably saw me just be a little more withdrawn. Okay. Um, and that was probably. Uh, the motivating factor for her saying, hey, let's get some help, let's talk. And I had open conversations with her in that when I retire, I will answer any question you want. But until then, I need to be able to separate this. I can't spend, you know, sometimes up to 100 hours in a work week dealing with this trauma and then come home and deal with this trauma, talking about it, not having the resources to handle it, just trying to guess. I, I just, I wasn't willing to do that.
0: You know, and I, I resonate a little bit with what you're saying. You know my background a little bit, and I was working with anti-human trafficking, mm-hmm. and I get the compartmentalizing. It's it's, it's almost out of necessity sometimes. It's not like it's a bad thing. Like, no. I'm not. I just heard horrific story after horrific story after horrific story, day after day after day. I'm not going to come home and share that with my family. So you, you have to compartmentalize a little bit, right? But then... There's some unhealthy things that can come come out of that. Is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. And I can tell you now, you can only compartmentalize for so long. I was able to compartmentalize as long as I could. Um, but then when I retired, it was time to unpack some of that and okay. get to the next level of really getting some help. Um, and we talked about that. What does help look like?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I'm an advocate for professional help.
0: Yeah, because you said there's a difference between real help versus help. Yeah. Okay, professional help versus help. Yeah,
1: I think there's unpack help. Unpack that. I think there's help. Uh, And you and I can help each other. Maybe we go meet for lunch. Maybe we talk informally. But I'm not in a position to help you unpack what you're seeing and get that off your shoulders. I'm in a position to say, I care about you, dude. I care about your marriage. I care about your kids. Call me at any time. I'll walk alongside this as best I can. But I don't have the tools at my disposal to help you get past that trauma that you're encountering. Mm -hmm. I will bear that trauma with you and I will bear it with any first responder that comes into my path, but I don't have the tools to get you past it. Whereas, prof- I don't want to call it real help. I'll call professional help. Yeah, They have the tools. Yeah, And I think really what we need is both. There's a good blend between the two, but we got to make sure we emphasize the professional help because they do have the tools. Um, EMDR, uh, different types of therapy tools that will get you past that trauma.
0: Did you see that in your own personal life then? Because I, I suspect, suspect yeah. just knowing your story I mean you're connected to a church and you have a good family it sounds like so you probably had help in your life I did yeah you had people walking alongside of you people said I care about you dude let's do but things started to change when you actually got professional help yeah absolutely so when I went to get help I, I did a therapy called
1: the MDR um, and I can't explain that I don't know how that works but there were certain images that I had in my head that I couldn't get past wasn't ruining my day, but I'd pause, and I'm thinking way too much about some of these images. Um, wouldn't derail my day. I was lucky. There are some people where they don't get past that image, and then their day's shot. Um, I would have those images. Um, I'd kind of get stuck in it a little bit. Well, I went to get help. We went through EMDR. I don't think those images ever go away, but that image may pop up now, and I'm like, wow, that sucked. That was horrible. Moving on, boom. Mm. It's just a different way to process it. Um, and so when they're I, giving you tools. On they're giving to get, you tools. Yep, on yeah. how to not park in that unrest. Because that's that's and going keep moving.
0: Going back to what you said earlier, we as humans, we we weren't designed to see and experience some of these things that you see and experience. 100%. Any of us, but much less a first responder. Yeah. So so this therapy is how do you get moved past that?
1: Absolutely, and I think it's powerful to share that too. So I'll tell you, in full disclosure, you talk about transparency. I don't know that I've ever publicly shared EMDR when I retired. I did now. And that's part of this. If if I'm serious about what we're trying to advocate for, people need to hear I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. I'm serious about that. I went through it myself. The weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders in a way that I'd never felt before. And I need our men and women to know that that's okay. Um, There are services out there that will absolutely help them unpack that trauma and what they saw
0: so yeah how about me just sharing that for the first time here i realized as that came out i'm like well we just got real good i love it i'm glad you did it's interesting i was just recently i was on a trip up in colorado and i met a guy who has a nonprofit up there it's it's for veterans that are coming out and seeing a lot of combat he was Mm -hmm. a marine that's seen a bunch of combat but i don't know anything about uh what is it called EMDR. emdr yeah he was doing. He talked about that same thing. So they're doing, you know, equine therapy and some of these different yeah. things. But EMDR was one of the things that he was talking about helping him get past the image, images. Yeah. In a lot of combat. So. Yeah, those that's are incredible. The kind of. That's the professional help where I can't. I'm your buddy that's going to say, "Man, I got your back. I want to walk with you," but I can't walk you through that. That's a professional that needs to do that. Yeah.
1: That, that's the difference. I also want to overemphasize. There's so much help and value just in help. Yes. Just in you reaching out, yes, that may prevent somebody from taking their own life. Yeah. You just saying, look, I love you, dude. I care about you. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's go grab a beer. Let's just have a
0: conversation. That's needed. Yep. But to get past that, we need the professional help. It's both. It's yep. both. How do you? This is one thing that I love about you, and a little bit that I've gotten to know you. How do you still see good after seeing so much bad? That's a
1: great question. Um, And I'm kind of unique. You know, we talked about uh, church earlier. I've I've been a blessed dude. Like, Mm -hmm. I met my wife in uh, 95 at our church at Central, Mm -hmm. Central Christian. We got married in 98. My adulthood, I grew up in that church. Our kids were dedicated there. We still are part of that church. That church has been instrumental, really, in getting me through a a career. Mm. Um, That church... And my wife, Melody, that one-two punch allowed me to walk through this. Yeah. Um, so you had a
0: really strong support system. Super, super strong
1: support yeah. system. Not all men and women that are wearing that badge yeah. have that support system. So I'm one of the lucky ones, and I don't take that for granted
0: yeah. at all. I really don't. I can tell just with your your and maybe some of it's your personality, but again, like you said, you've seen some of the most evil things. You've experienced the most hands evil, like, down, like. When you say uh, people don't have any idea the kind of evil that's walking around in our community, you actually know that firsthand. Yeah. But I also see this side of you where you see a lot of good, too. You look around, you see a lot of good. How, that, uh, not letting that taint you.
1: No, and, and that comes back to my social circle. I had a group of people. I had an amazing church family. I have some really good friends, again, that aren't cops. Mm-hmm. A, a great social circle um, mm-hmm. and an amazing wife who didn't let me get too far deep. Yeah. into the chaos that I was seeing, Yeah. made sure that they were there to maybe grab my arm, maybe pull me back just a little bit, maybe engage a little bit longer in a conversation. My fear is too many people don't have that. Mm. And they go down that rabbit hole and they're too deep into it. Yeah. And then there is no difference. The yeah. world is all bad. It's just evil. Yep. And I, I refuse to accept that. Yeah. I won't accept that. There are still amazing people in this world, there are amazing, love about you. amazing yep. first responders out there, mm-hmm. um, and I care deeply about them. The world is not all horrible and bad. You know, you put the TV on, you're probably going to think that. Yep. You watch the ten o'clock news, probably going to think that. Well, I
0: tend to avoid yeah. the ten o'clock news, um, yeah. but yeah, that's it's it's a it's a good question. Yeah. Even on my social media feeds, I have found some like there's one uh, Instagram called Good News Movement. And uh, it's one of the things I I have in my feed, and it's just they're just putting out the good things that are happening. Like, there is a lot of good. There's evil. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good. I think of that that the the, the day after that big shooting in Vegas years ago. Remember that? Where, so the day after that, I remember hearing on secular news stations all over. Everybody's like going, "How does this kind of evil happen?" And it is a it's a legitimate question. How can one guy do that? But then I remember thinking that next day. But did you miss the hundreds of people that were willing to lay down their lives to protect someone they don't even know? The hundreds of people that were lined up to give blood. The hundreds of people that were bringing food to the families. I mean, so every time we see something evil, we also see a lot of good. A hundred percent. And I don't care what the scenario is. We can can
1: look at any of these shootings. We can look at any of these mass casualty events. And you're going to find some good. You're going to find some men and women that did some stellar acts. And, and and a lot of them are going to be first responders, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. You're going to see parents. Mm-hmm. You're going to see grandparents that stepped up to the plate and saved additional lives and prevented your death count from being greater because of the actions that they took. There is still good in this world. There's lots of good in this world, but are you willing to yeah. see that good?
0: Well, I tell you, one thing I hope that comes out of this podcast is I certainly hope the people that are listening, and, and myself included, that will have the name of one of those first responders or a family of a first responder and will reach out. Like you said, we're not the professional help, but we can encourage them to maybe go, hey, check out, give us the website again. Compassion-Alliance.org. Yep. Check that out. Um, But then also say, if you ever need anything, I'm here. If you want to go grab a coffee or a beer, you know, like you said, I'm here, because you said both of those are important. Yeah, absolutely. All of us can be this piece. I may not be able to be the professional piece, but all of us can be this piece. I hope that certainly comes out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, thank you so much for what you do. We got one more thing that we do, one more element uh, of this. I was hoping you are going to forget about that <laughs> no, part. No we you'd be like, cut. Thank you. No it's been way. fantastic. No way. No way. Because uh, it's the two truths and a lie. You do this with all of our guests at the end. And again, the irony of it is we call this podcast No Gray Areas. I'm going to ask you to lie to me. But the the audience has gotten to know you for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes here. We're going to see if you can trick us with this. Two truths and okay. a lie. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah.
1: So, you know, after a career or during a career of just a lot of stress, you got to find your outlets. And and truthfully for me, one of those was skydiving. Okay. It wasn't in a position where I could do it, you know, monthly, but that was a way that I kind of recharged my batteries. You jump out got of Got reset. Yeah. And uh, I actually learned it from my wife, but that was one way that I could okay. just kind of breathe and be like, you know what? I think the world's okay right now okay. for a little bit. Another thing I'd like to share is the Middle East is just very near and dear to my heart. And I've had the opportunity to travel there probably a half dozen times. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. Yeah, I will tell you some of the warmest God-fearing people on the face of the planet come from within that region. Yeah. And I can't wait to travel internationally again. Okay. And then the last thing I'd like to share is I have had the opportunity to have lunch with my daughter once a month. Since she was in kindergarten. And she's now a freshman in college, a
0: 19 year old. Oh, man. Um, non negotiable. Yep. Once a month. You've made that, you've carved out that time. You've made that. Wow. Made it. Made okay. it. Okay. So let me, let me, I'm going to say number two is true. And I'm only saying that um, with the Middle East, your love for the Middle East, because I know the church you go to well. Uh, they work closely with me, and I know that's near and dear to their heart. So I'm going with that's the truth. I got, okay. Nailed it. I'm on a roll. Nailed it. And then I want to believe the third one so much so that I'm going to go, that's true. That for once a month since she was in kindergarten, you've gone on a date with your daughter. Do you know how hard that would be to actually do? Yeah. True. Man. So I na- I got it. You nailed I it. it. But you I'm actually it. more excited that the third one is true. There's a bunch of guys listening. I hope, or women that are listening, that will carve out time like that. That will that will have a generational impact. Yeah, I'm proud of you for that, man. Yeah, that that's been a heck of a
1: commitment. I and I just want to share just in two seconds. I, so I have 19 year old twins, and I made that dedication when my kids were young, and I had lunch with both of them, and I tell them all the time you can tap out when you need to tap out my son god bless him he tapped out in second grade (laughs) (laughs) kindergarten to second grade i'm done taps out sorry and my daughter to this day we are still doing it it's a non-negotiable i will never break that um it's it's awesome and there were you know 11 years in a homicide unit there were crazy times when it was super stressful to make it Mm -hmm. happen but we made it happen yeah and as for skydiving, why would I jump out of a perfectly good plane? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Well,
0: yeah, that's true. I have a couple of My times. My wife has. I love it. So, so that part was true that she does. That say, part, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you do, the impact that you're having. Thanks for what you did in your career. Thank you for caring about people, your daughter, families. Uh, I saw that. That really came through. So we appreciate awesome. you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.